Please be seated. This is the second Sunday in the season of Lent, uh, the 46 days that precede Easter. If you don't count the Sundays, it's 40 days. We're gathering around a single theme. I'm calling it Falling into Love, a true confession. I'm borrowing and adapting that theme from a book written by our friend Chuck DeGroat, to a Lenten devotional called Falling into Goodness. Uh, there are copies in the uh, narthex if you want to grab one to journey with during the season of Lent. Uh, this is Amy Baraducci. Amy's going to read for us from a little excerpt from Falling into Goodness. Amy is also the newly hired executive administrator at Pillar. I thought this would be a way of introducing her. Here is the invitation of Lent. You, the big-eared kid, are loved. You, the buck's tooth one, are loved. You, the plain Jane, are loved. You, the abuse victim, are loved. You, the scared little girl, are loved. You, the last picked for the team, are loved. You, the deeply insecure star quarterback, are loved. Mm. You are loved. Mm. Whew, man. That's it. That's all. Let's go. Thanks, Amy. Welcome her, by the way, when you have a chance. Uh, you're loved. That's Lent. It's actually the entirety of the gospel. Our, our theme is falling into love. I'm borrowing from the title of, of Chuck's book, but it's really inspired by the verse Jonathan's been reciting all morning. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me. That's Lent. Who loves me. And we do so many things to Lent as a microcosm of our whole lives. Do better, be more, work harder, get it done. All the while, you're loved. You're loved. I like the way Henry Nowen puts it in a book titled Life of the Beloved. You have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I can't feel it right now, is that I'm the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity. That's Lent. Beloved. So listen with me to a falling into love story. It's from the Gospel of Mark. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were amazed and those who followed were afraid. Jesus 
called the disciples aside and told them what was to happen, saying, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they'll hand him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said, What is it that you want me to do for you? They said, Grant for us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said, You do not know what you are asking. Can you drink from the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, We are able. And he said, You will drink the cup that I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to grant for you to sit one at my right and one at my left is not for me to grant, but for those for whom it is prepared. The, the ten heard this and began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know, among the Gentiles, their rulers lord it over them. And those who are great are tyrants over them, but not so among you. Those who want to be great among you must be your servant. And those who want to be first must become slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. They came to Jericho. As he and the disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he called out to him in a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called to him and said, Get up. Take heart, he's calling for you. So he threw off his cloak, sprang up, ran to Jesus. And Jesus said, what is it you want me to do for you? And he said, my teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said, go. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight. And he followed him on the way. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 52. And from that moment with blind Bartimaeus begging on the roadside, Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. The crowds start shouting, Hosanna! The colt starts walking. The cloaks are laid on the road ahead of him. Sometimes, that's Palm Sunday, by the way. That's the triumphal entry story, if you didn't know. Sometimes I think we sort of excise it from its context, that sort of... Uh, Make it ahistorical. Actually, the moment just before the triumphal entry, the moment just before Jesus enters Jerusalem to offer his life for the sin of the whole world, he stands still next to blind Bartimaeus and says, what is it you want me to do for you? 
What if that's the question on God's heart for you? What is it you want me to do for you? Sometimes I think we, we conjure up this voice of God in our heads. This is what you need to do for me. This is what you've got to do. This is what you have to do. You should do this. All the while, what is it you want me to do for you? What is it you want me to do for you? We'll get back to the question. It's asked twice, actually. We'll get back to the question in just a minute. But first, I want you to pay attention to the big picture with me that's unfolding in Mark's gospel. And then also that stunning moment with Bartimaeus. So here's the big picture. The big picture in Mark's gospel, the big picture in all of the gospels, the big picture of the New Testament, the big picture of the entirety of the Bible, the big picture of the Christian story, God is going to save the world. (laughs) That's the story. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer, to die, only to rise again so that those who believe in him might have life, whole life, full life, animated full life. That's the big picture. It's called the atonement. Does that sound familiar? My sense is from all of you this morning, you're a very passive congregation, so I'm going to force you out of yourselves. Say it with me. Atonement. Atonement. Basically, it means a reparation for wrong, or in Christian theology, God reconciling to himself the whole of humanity. That's the atonement. On Monday of this past week, Matt Mal- do you know Matt Mulder? Do you know that name? Uh, Matt Mulder and I flew down to uh, Florida to attend a conference called Exponential. 5,500 uh, Christian leaders from around the country helping us think about this growing small thing, one mission, multiple locations. You can join us at noon today or tomorrow night at 6. And there's also an adult formation class starting next Sunday at 1030. Anyway, we hop on flight, uh, whatever, from Frontier Airlines, from Grand Rapids uh, down to Orlando, Florida. I'm in seat 18F, the aisle. Matt's in seat 18E, the middle seat. Because <laughs> he's 15 years younger than me. 18D was wide open. And, and we did what you all do when the seat near you is wide open. You look for that door to close. Please, Lord, let the door close. And just before the door closes, some tall, like six-foot-something guy with long hair and a hemp hat and a tattoo growing out of his uncollared shirt, all inked up on his arm, sat next to Uncle Matt. That's what we call him, Uncle Matt. It's like, come on, man. I know, like a good pastor would probably see that as an opportunity, but people like me are like, oh, no. I just wanted to read. I wanted to think. I wanted to write. Uh, he sits down, and he starts talking. So I do what you do, disciplined, thoughtful, good pastor. I grab my noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> just kidding. That's when I realized I forgot my noise-canceling headphones. Uh, they're, they're talking for a while. They're going back and forth. Matt, and we'll call this guy Kurt. They're talking about the summer solstice party that Kurt's going to have. Sounds like a real blast. Uh, Tells us all about his atheist friend. He, he sort of, he left church. He kind of grew up in the church, but he basically left it. He was like, you know, religion's just not for me. Uh, I'm not so sure about Jesus as the Savior. Uh, but I think he's a good dude. That's what I heard him say. Uh, Kurt, in seat 18D, was talking about the atonement. <laughs> he didn't know it. 
Jesus is just a good dude is one of the seven theories of the atonement. If you're a note-taking type, you might want to start writing some stuff down. There are seven theories for this big picture of what's actually happening, and one of them is Jesus is a good dude, which reduces the gospel to an ethic, reduces the gospel to a behavior. Just follow the guy, and it'll end up okay for you. That's one. The second is Christus Victor. How come no one's writing any of this down? It's like personally hurtful to me. The second is Christus Victor. Basically, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he overcomes sin and death in our lives and in the world. The third is penal substitution. Anybody heard of penal substitution? You can't call yourself reformed if you don't know penal substitution. We love penal substitution. Basically, penal substitution says you're bad, Jesus is good, he is the substitute for you. An offshoot of that is the fourth uh, theory of the atonement. It's called the... uh, Satisfaction theory. Basically, God's wrath had to be satisfied, so he sent his son Jesus to take on the wrath that we deserved. Uh, The fifth theory is the government theory. I have no idea what that is. The sixth theory is the scapegoat theory. Not so much that Jesus was a sacrifice, but rather he was a willing victim, victimized by the brutalities of the world. And then the seventh theory is the ransom theory. Mark's picking on ransom theory language. He gave his life a ransom for many. Why we have to pick one theory of the atonement? I don't know. I think Jesus is big enough for all of them. He gave, so, but, but Mark is using ransom. He gave his life a ransom for many. The idea is our life, we have bought into and been bought by a contrary narrative with a contrary storyteller. And, we, and James and John are examples one and two. We want you to do for us whatever, whatever we have. Well, what is it you want me to do for you? We want you to grant for us to sit one at your right and one at your left. They had bought into a cultural script. Status, prestige, power make you valuable. And Jesus says, mm-mm. It's not how it goes. And then also says he gave his life a ransom for many to buy us back from the scripts that we replay over and over uh, what, what was, what was Nouwen saying? You have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative. Power hungry. And in the long run, destructive. Jesus Christ took on flesh. The Son of God became man to ransom us back. To buy us back. Uh, between services, I learned something phenomenally cool. So Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, uh, Early first century Roman Empire, Plato, uh, Plato, you know Plato, had written a work called Timaeus. Does anybody know about this? Okay, well then, Tori, correct me when I'm wrong, okay? <laughs> Plato had written this thing called Timaeus, which was basically, this is how you should live. And it was circulated in the time of the writings of the gospel. And some people are suggesting Mark is picking on Plato who wrote this Timaeus, this is how you should live, suggesting that will only get you so far. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, blind beggar, only in Jesus Christ can your eyes be opened. Only in Jesus Christ when he ransoms us out of the things we've bought into and been bought by. Are you with me? Isn't that cool? I have no idea if it's true. I just thought it was awesome. That's the big picture. Now here's the stunning moment. I love this moment. 
If you're following along, it's verse 49. Jesus stood still. Jesus, about to atone for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, about to go the way of the garden to the trial, to the cross, to the grave. Jesus, on mission, Jesus has time to stand still. It stands in stark contrast to the way the story started. Verse 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus was walking ahead of them and the disciples are amazed and those who follow are afraid. Jesus is not messing around today. Jesus is on business today. Jesus is up to something today. Jesus is walking ahead of them. He sees Bartimaeus and he stands still. What if that's the heart of the gospel? Jesus stands still. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, so many of the stories in Mark's gospel where people are healed, we never learn their names. The hemorrhaging woman, Jairus' daughter, the demoniac who called himself Legion. We never know their names, but here we get a name, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, because everyone would have known Timaeus. Poor Bartimaeus. Such a shame to the family. Blind Bartimaeus, not a productive member of the family, let alone the society. Dad had to kick him out because he's a drag on the system. Community doesn't know what to do with him, so he's relegated to the roadside, maybe get some charity out of those religious folks heading up to Jerusalem. Hears that Jesus of Nazareth is on the way and shouts out with a loud voice, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd does what they're always doing to Bartimaeus. Stop talking. Quiet down. But Bartimaeus is sick of it. He's tired of it. He, He cries out all the more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. Jesus on mission, Jesus about to reconcile, to atone for the sins of the whole world, to repair the wrongs and reconcile humanity back to God, has time to stand still. Do you have time? Do you have space? Or do you have an agenda? Are matters too pressing? Too busy? Got too much going on? Eugene Peterson used to, you know that name, Eugene Peterson, used to schedule for every hour meeting he would have, he'd schedule an hour and a half. Building into his life time to stand still. A couple weekends ago, we had this men's retreat. 60 guys over at Bay Point Inn near Gun Lake. Uh, I'm like really introverted, so the idea of a weekend away with 60 guys... (laughs) <laughs> it's not my idea of a good time, uh, I'll just be honest. But I loved it. It was awesome. Uh, we gathered around this benediction you hear. Uh, you're about to enter every sector of public life to claim it for Christ. I was trying to make the case with the guys that the benediction is the end of the service. After like 65, 70 minutes of engaging God in worship, song, prayer at the table, missionary action is always preceded by vibrancy with God. And God is on the move. God is active. God is doing the work. I was trying to tell the guys, relax. Relax. Take a deep breath. God is up to something. So I get this email uh, from one of the guys. This was earlier this week. The blessing of the retreat for me was the opening remarks, relax. Relax. God does. God makes it happen. And the email goes on and then says, 
Anyway, I have relaxed. I realize people aren't distractions, but image bearers. Isn't that good? People aren't distractions. They're image bearers. Do you have time to stand still? To see the image bearer in front of you? That's the stunning moment. And now back to the question. What is it that you want me to do for you? What a beautiful question. Jesus, on his way to atone for the sins of the whole world, also asks, well, what would you like me to do for you? James and John, they had bought into a cultural script. They say, we want to be great, basically. And Jesus says, actually, that's, that's not my wheelhouse. That's not what I'm up to. That's not what I'm doing. Those who want to be great will be servants. Those who want to be first will be slave of all. And then uh, Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question. Bartimaeus, blind, begging Bartimaeus, runs up to Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, my teacher, I just want to see. Jesus says, all right, there we go. Uh, He heals him and says, go, your faith has made you well. But what does Bartimaeus do? Followed him along the way. (laughs) Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus follows him along the way. What is it you want me to do for you, is the question. And then goes on to describe the the very thing Jesus is up to. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. What is it you want me to do for you? He gives his life a ransom for many. Uh, There are two New Testament words for life, bios and zoe. Have you heard me say this before? Uh, Bios is biological life like flesh and blood. Zoe is animated life, full life, whole life. Of the two, which do you suppose Jesus is using here? Bios or Zoe? I'm totally messing with you. It's neither of them. There's a third New Testament word. It's suke. Not just biological life. He didn't just die a a human physical death on the cross, nor did he only, Zoe, give up his spirit on the cross, but rather his suke. He gave his deep down inner self his vulnerable, tender, available self. He gave his suke as a ransom for many, and we go the way of Jesus in offering our, ourselves, our suke, to the image bearer in front of us. What if that's our participation? What, what if the gospel isn't asking of you some Herculean effort to change the world, but rather just be available to the person in front of you? Can I be a Debbie Downer for a second? Can I keep being a Debbie? No, no, no. No one here is going to change the world. I'm I'm sorry about the graduation speech. They were lying. (laughs) You are not going to change the world. So relax. Be present. God's going to change the world. You get to be available. You get to be present to the person in front of you. Share your life. Share your story. You don't have to save anyone. Just be present. Be available. So we're sitting on uh, seat 18F and 18E. 18D is unoccupied until just before the door closes when Kurt sits down. Matt and Kurt start going back and forth for a while. I'm thinking to myself, Matt, what are you doing, man? Just bury your head in a book and... Call it good for the next three hours. They just keep talking. And, 
you know, the summer solstice party and the atheists, and I've kind of left the church, but Jesus is a good dude, and Matt keeps asking these really interesting, good, curious questions. He's pursuing the guy, and the guy asks Matt, well, what do you do? And Matt's like, well, I'm a therapist, and leans over to me, well, what do you do? And I'm like, pastor? And the guy grabbed his noise-canceling headphones. No, just kidding. They, They just kept going back and forth, kept pursuing each other, and then the plane finally lands. I grab my suitcase. I'm out of there as fast as possible. I look back. Matt and Kurt are still talking, and Kurt says to Matt, hey, can I get your number? (laughs) I want you to come to my solstice party. (laughs) Wow. Matt was there, available. I mean, he was kind of stuck there, but he was still, he still pursued him. (laughs) Still asked all kinds of good, curious questions, just available, just present, just here I am. Hey, can I get your number? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what will happen? That's our participation. He gave his life, his suke, his inner self. He made himself available, and we go the way of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, there are a lot of people here today who feel like Bartimaeus, a drag on the family, a drag on the social system, best to just get out of the way, feel ignored, forgotten. Would you stand still here at the table For each of us and all of us who think of ourselves that way, stand still here at the table and ask again, what what is it you want me to do for you? There's plenty of us in here too. We wrap ourselves in narratives. Tell ourselves stories about what it means to be important, what it means to be significant, and all of it has to do with money and status and position and homes and cars, would you stand still for each one of us and every one of us who tells that story? Stand still here, Lord, and say it again. What what is it you want me to do for you? Stand still for us, Lord, here at the table so that we might be the kind of people that can stand still too. We might be the kind of people who follow you and giving our lives, our, our, our story, our self, our, to the image bearer in front of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.